part of our service, we're going to read the Bible together. So tonight we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 16 to 18. And if you've got a black Bible, it's on page 995. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is the word of God. Thanks, Justin. Hello, friends. Before you get to meet, my name is Nick. It's a real joy to be here with you. I especially love getting to preach in early Jan because I can choose whatever I want. I can preach on anything. So I get the opportunity to just ride my hobby horse and you have no, no option but to sit and to listen to me. So I chose 2 Corinthians 4.17, largely for me, not for you, right? Because I, I felt like this is the word that I needed to preach to myself as I started this year. And I hope that it's a word that will speak to you and, and lay some groundwork as we step into this year. I say that because I think 2022 was probably the hardest year of my life. Some of you might know we had twins. So January through March is a pregnant Becca with two babies in there, vomiting multiple times every single day with the threat of preeclampsia hanging over her and what that might do for the kids and for her through the pregnancy. Um, many weeks in hospital for her, so I'm solo parenting with an 18-month-old Addie, and if you've met my 18-year-old month, 18-month-old Addie, we call her Hurricane Addie, because she a hurricane, like she got, she got bunnies, right? So that's, that's happening, we have the twins, they're a beautiful blessing, we love them so much, Freya and Rory, uh, but within four weeks, they get sick, they get RSV, their lungs start shutting down, they end up in ICU, we get to the point where we almost lose both of them. I'm living in the hospital for a couple weeks, not knowing if I'm going to have one or two twins still when we come back out. Again, God's so kind, and he brought them to full health. You'd see him now, and you're like, you're that fat when you were that little? It's incredible. It's incredible. It's incredible. In that time, I'm in the hospital for multiple weeks. Beck's in the hospital for multiple weeks. Our 18-month is like, well, where's mum and dad? It's been like six weeks of grandparents, and we love our grandparents, but I love my mum and my dad back. We come through to just the usual chaos of three under two, the sleeplessness, the exhaustion, and our house starts to develop mold. And so there's a structural issue in the wall, the mold starts to creep up everything, um, and effectively we're like, well, we've got to get out of here because we just had two little kids with respiratory issues, and then we've got mold growing on the wall. So we're moving house with three under two, we're trying to make sense of all of this, trying to love people in ministry. In the meantime, we lose a couple of people that we love dearly at church. And frankly, I'm just exhausted. Like, I guess I'm, like, to be real with you, I, I think it almost broke me. It almost broke Beck. If you caught me on my hard moments, probably my more honest moments, you'd find me asking the question, God, where the heck are you? Like, are you actually the good God that you claim to be? Don't you, don't you love me? Was all of this just something that I have to endure before I then get to heaven and everything's okay? Like, why haven't you carried me through this like you promised you would? And I wonder if you've been there. I wonder if you've been in a season of suffering, difficulty, trial. I don't know what it is in your life. We've had to ask some hard questions. Like, God, are you truly there? Are you wrestled with the Lord? That's been the year for me. 
That's why I chose this passage, right? Because Scripture says, absolutely not. God has not left you alone. God does not put you aside and say, well, go and handle it yourself and we'll see you in heaven in a few years. No, no, the Scriptures are so clear that God is present in the midst of every difficult moment that you will ever experience. And in fact, he's doing something through it. He's at work in your life and in my life as, as we wrestle with pain, as the fires just get hotter and hotter around us. God is not absent. God is ever present and working in a beautiful way. So 2 Corinthians 4.17, let's do it. Have you got your Bibles? You want to open that up? It's only one verse, but you should still have your Bible open, guys. It's good. So we start, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. Our light and momentary troubles. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. And my question when I first read this, is Paul just like minimizing everything that I've been through? Is he being like, bro, if I went through what you went through, it'd just be light and momentary. Could you just, could you just, just you know, pull your boots up and just do better? Is he, is he kind of playing that card of like, well, you're not strong enough, so you should probably do better? Well, no, he's not. Because if you go through 2 Corinthians, you get to chapter 11, and it's incredible. The Apostle Paul, he just starts laying out everything that he's endured in the pursuit of serving Jesus. I'm going to give you a summary. Here's what he writes. He writes, I was frequently imprisoned. I was flogged severely. I was exposed to death. I had 40 lashes minus one five times. I was beaten with rods three times. I was pelted with stones. I shipwrecked three times. At some point, you just stop getting on the boat, man. Like, it's not going well for you. Just walk. He's constantly on the move. He's in danger from rivers, bandits, Jews, Gentiles, city, country, sea, false believers. He's been sleepless. He suffered poverty. He's been cold and naked. And yet in this letter, he says, our, including mine, light and momentary troubles. He calls all of that light and momentary. He makes my 2022 look incredible. You know, he's been through some stuff, and yet he can speak like that. Why would he do that? Well, you understand the extent of something when you compare it to something else. You understand the extent of something when you compare it to something else. Now, you might be looking at me thinking, Nick, you're pretty tall. How tall are you? Are? Six foot, six five? I'm six five, two meters with shoes on, if you're wondering. But if you look at this guy up on the screen, this is Bol Bol from the Orlando Magic, seven foot two with a wingspan of seven foot eight. And suddenly you're looking at me being like, man, you're a little bit small, aren't you? Any NBA fans in the, in the congregation today? Bless you, bless you, brothers and sisters. You're incredible. The Magic aren't doing too great, but we love you anyway. Right? Maybe you've lived in Sydney for a while. And you're like, well, Sydney's a pretty big city. Five million people, only growing. That's pretty cool. And then you come to Tokyo. Tokyo, 37 million people. It's incredible. And suddenly you're like, oh, Sydney's just like a country town. I grew up in Barara. It's effectively like Barara out here. You know, it's nothing compared to Tokyo. You come to the Milky Way galaxy, and this is where it gets wild, right? Like, this is the galaxy that we live in. And if you were light, traveling at the speed of light, 300,000 kilometers a second, it would take you 100,000 years to get from one side to the other. Whoa. But then you realize our best guess is there are 100 billion galaxies like that. And you go, okay. That's kind of huge. You understand the extent of something when you compare it to something, right? Paul says, your troubles, my troubles, light and momentary, if you get a glimpse of the glory of God. If you just taste what God has for you, your cancer, your chronic illness, your dying loved ones, your debilitating circumstances, your life that's falling apart, Absolutely, when you look at it on its own, devastating. 
compare it to the glory of God and you realize it's just light. It's just momentary. It's got nothing on what awaits us. It's got nothing on what awaits us. It's incredible. But a Christian brother at our church who I love so dearly, and he's lost so many loved ones in the last 12 months. His life really has just been thrown apart. And he looked at me only a week after losing someone, looked me in the eye and he said, Nick, if I had to go through everything that I've been through in the past 12 months again, and maybe even worse, and I know that God will get the glory, do it in a heartbeat. And I just I looked him in the eye and I was like, he means this. This is not just like the empty words of someone who hasn't been there. He's in the midst of the storm. It's, he gets it. He has seen the glory of God and he knows that there is nothing greater. He would throw everything aside just to have what God is offering It's incredible what these verses are saying. Everything you could ever imagine that could happen to you, Paul's saying, light and momentary. Just very, very easy to lift and it only lasts a blip. only lasts a moment. But the reason he can say that is because it's an eternal weight of glory. Have a look again at the verse, 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outs outweighs them all. I just love that, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I actually think the NIV doesn't really do it justice. It's nice, but, but it's, it's a lot stronger. He uses the word hyperbolane, which is the word we get hyperbole from, which means like excessive or, or just exceeding. And he's saying the glory that is coming through your troubles and your pains, the light and momentary ones, is just incredible. It exceeds anything you could ever imagine. That's the word that he's using, right? He uses it twice. He uses this weird construction, which is why, you know, it's hard to translate. But he's saying like hyperbole upon hyperbole, glory upon glory upon glory upon glory. It outweighs everything. Everything you could ever imagine. I love the way the NIGTC commentary, try and say that twice, says, an utterly incomparable degree, an eternal load of glory, glory that outweighs everything. And the word there is eternal. It's an eternal glory. Now, as a, as a youth pastor, one of the things that I constantly encounter in young people is like, eternity, like that's a long time. Like that's, I'm, it kind of freaks me out. And heaven kind of sounds like it's like a, a prayer book service. We're all singing hymns around the organ. I'm going to do that forever. I'm not sure I want to go to heaven, Right? Right? Maybe you feel, and genuinely, there are people, and, and you know, I found moments in my life where I felt this too, where you genuinely just kind of get scared by the idea of living forever. And that's fair, but you've got to put it in context. It's eternal, but it's an eternal weight of glory. There's a sense of, of the time, the temporal of eternity going forever, but there's also the qualitative sense of, of an eternal glory, of something that is infinitely greater than you can ever imagine. It's something that, that you, you just don't realize that everything you've ever longed for, every good thing you've ever tasted, all that you've sought for with your whole life that, that fulfilled you and satisfied you, this glory, this eternal glory that's coming, multiply it by infinity and you're not even close. I know that doesn't work, but just bear with me. It sounds good. It's It's, it's incredible. Everything that we've ever longed for, everything that we've ever experienced, the eternal weight of glory is far, far, far greater. It's the beauty of this broken world without the brokenness. Went on a baby moon with our first daughter, 
We went to um, Bannister's at Port Stephens. Little plug, very fun, very nice. They have a restaurant attached, Rick Stein's Seafood Restaurant. And I don't know what we ordered, but we got this like entree that wasn't an entree. It was this giant bowl of just seafood with some sauce, and I couldn't tell you what's in it. And I ate every single thing on that plate. And then got the bread and soaked it up. Genuinely the greatest meal of my life. And I read verses like this, and I go, God, you've got more? Like... What's it going to be like in heaven? I want that dish without the brokenness. I want to cut the sin out and just enjoy it till my heart's content. Think like all the delights of this world, the glorious beaches, the lands to be explored, the travel that you love. Think about the tastes like I had at Rick Stein, your favorite meal. You're going to have, not even have words to describe what awaits you in this glory. There are going to be new memories forged that are sweeter than ever before without the tinge of brokenness. It's going to be incredible. Broken world without the brokenness. But it's very important to realize heaven will be great, but it will be great largely, entirely actually, because of the one who dwells there. And every, every delight that we taste, every, everything that we enjoy will be just a delighting in the one who made it and enjoying the God who holds it all together, the God who promised it. You might be sitting here going, man, I can't wait for that milkshake fountain. You might be 5'1", and you're like, man, I can't wait to dunk in heaven. You will dunk. I'll be there with you. But the reason you will enjoy that is because it all comes back to the one who made it. We enjoy good gifts because they take us to the one who made them. Now, if you've ever heard me preach, you know I'm a fanboy, C.S. Lewis. Oh, man, I love C.S. Lewis. He's incredible. If you haven't read this, it's called The Weight of Glory. This is actually far bigger than it looks. It's just one sermon that was written down, completely changed my perspective of looking forward to heaven, of glory, of understanding who God is. For Incredible. I just want to share a couple of things with you. He writes here, We do not merely want to see beauty, though God knows even that is bounty enough. We want something else which can hardly be put into words, to be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, and to become part of it. And that largely is what it is. As we come to this glory, it's us becoming the perfected people that we were meant to be, standing face to face with our God, beholding Him in all His glory, and we're made one with Him in this divine mystery as we're woven into Christ. It's incredible. And so it's not just about the things that are good, the glory is in God and in what God is doing in us as he joins us into one with Christ. It's, it's hard to get your head around, but the reason it's so hard is because it's so infinitely beautiful. It's so great that we can't really even contemplate it because it's so far beyond our experience. So first, let's think about the glory that God is producing in, in you and in me. Go back to his previous letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15. He writes this, verse 41. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Don't be fooled by your decaying broken body. Don't be fooled by the world around you that constantly just seems so hard. God is doing something incredible. It's, your outer body will waste away. I, I mean, it's not a very encouraging January sermon, but you're all going to die. And I'm going to die too. That's reality. But as our outer self is decaying, God says that your inward self 
is being renewed day by day. Like that master sculptor who starts just with a big hunk of stone and everyone else looks at it and goes like, man, it's just a big rock. He takes his chisel out and hit blow by blow, he starts to forge it into something that's absolutely incredible, a masterpiece. And that's what God's doing in you. He is preparing you for heaven. Those ones will come back later. Those gold photos, spoilers. Um, <laughs> it's incredible. He is, your, your life right now might be falling apart, but God is saying, I'm doing a work in your soul to make you fit for heaven, to form you into the image of Christ, to make you holy and godly. He doesn't want you to be comfortable. He wants you to be like Jesus. That's what he's doing in you. And then that day where you do finally take your last breath and die, that's the moment where that seed is sown in the ground and then it rises forth into something more beautiful than what it ever looked like in in the first place. It's like a master seamstress who takes just a bland person like me and just whips up this beautiful suit and says, look, you know, he takes us in our, our, our broken selves and he's going to create this incredible, perfected body so that you can be truly who you were made to be, inwardly and outwardly. It's absolutely incredible that, that he would do this. C.S. Lewis again, my man, says some really beautiful things. He says, it's, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you'd be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. He goes on a little bit later, he says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Mortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Do you love that? There are no ordinary people. There are no mere mortals. Every single one of us is on an eternal journey. And God is promising that he is carving, chiseling, cultivating you into the eternal splendor that you were made to be. But the reason that that matters is because He's making you fit for himself. He's he's getting you to the place where you can come face to face, unfiltered with the Holy One, the bright shining sun through which anyone else would just die the minute they come into his presence. He's making you ready for the moment where you can come face to face with the source of all good things and everything you ever longed for. It's incredible. But you won't get this. You won't understand how good the glory of God is that he has for you until you understand how glorious God is in himself. Now, one of my passages that I go to straight away when I think about the glory of God is Isaiah 6. It's this chapter where Isaiah the prophet is commissioned by God to go and do his ministry, but he's taken in a vision into the throne room of God. It's incredible. There's, there's these burning angels, the seraphim, who have six wings covering themselves, flying, making sure they're not touching the ground because they're not fit to stand in the presence of the living God. It says that the hem, just the hem of his robe, fills the entire temple. And Isaiah, just an ordinary human, is brought into this scene. And here's what he says. Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And he falls down as if he's dead. That's the glory of God. 
for an ordinary human living in the sin and the brokenness of this world to fall down dead in his presence. It's incredible. Then you come New Testament, it happens again. Revelation, the Apostle John is receiving this vision from God to write down, and he comes face to face with Jesus in Revelation 1. And it's wild. Jesus got a sword coming out of his mouth. His feet are shining. It's an incredible picture. Here's what he says. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. I don't tell you those to make you afraid. There's no need for fear. Because when you recognize the gospel of what God has done, he takes you in all of your brokenness and all of your sin and washes you completely clean. We sung it before. He makes us white as snow. He washes us with his blood. He takes away every stain, every blemish, no matter what you did, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you will do. The confidence is that Christ has covered you. He has completely made you the person in his sight that you need to be. No longer sinful because he took it upon himself. Get it? The glorious God that people fall down dead before steps into the world and becomes a human. Takes on flesh and walks a lonely path to the cross to die so that you can come back into that throne room, not fall down dead, but perfected in relationship, in communion, in in everything that you could ever ask for as you stand face to face with your God. Not with fear. You look him in the eye and all you see is tenderness. He says, I saw what you went through. I know everything you've been, I know better than you everything that you've been through and I love you. I loved you so much that I didn't leave you there, I died for you. And now I loved you so much to to just work at you and work at you and make you the person that you are now. And now here you are. He's going to look you in the eye. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter into your rest. It's incredible to come face to face with the living God, to know him in love and life. I just, I cannot imagine what it would mean, be like to, to look him in the face. But Revelation 5 says we're all going to be there And it says that we're going to cry with every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them, i.e. everything. And we're going to say, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. You might not like singing songs. We still love you. But you're going to stand face to face with God and your soul will just cry out the glory that you see because you have no other option. Because you see the one who made all things, who holds all things together and who loved you, even you. You're going to have this whole history of of brokenness and sin, and you're going to think, I am just so ashamed. And he's just going to say, I've covered you, and I've loved you, and here we are. I love the Bible starts with Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the night in the garden with their God, and it finishes us with us, no sin, eyes wide open, dwelling, literally living with our God. It's absolutely incredible. There's just, there's just nothing more that we could ever ask for. But now, back to our light and momentary troubles. This, this is really well and good to have a vision of the glory of God, right? But we're still here. St- I still had a terrible 2022. Come on, 2023. Can you give me something better? <laughs> Please, just a little glimpse. Anything, anything, right? What, what's the deal? Are we, are we just sitting here holding hope that it will get better? 
but just living through the pain until finally we die and go to heaven. It's kind of a bleak way to look at the rest of your world in this life in this world. But I want you to see the middle of that verse. It says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It's the light and momentary troubles that are doing the work. The word here for achieving could be um, creating or, or um, producing. It's actually from this, this trial, from this pain, from this difficulty that you will finally get to the glory. There is no glory without the pain. Everything that God has painted in this picture of his beauty and all that he has in eternity for you, the path to get there is the path of the cross, walking after Jesus, knowing that there will be suffering and pain. And it's in those very moments that things are good because God is doing his work. The the consistent picture of Scripture is that suffering is like the refining fire that, that just burns you up until you can finally be what you were meant to be. You know, up on the screen, there'll be a big hunk of rock. This is what a piece of gold ore looks like. Um, this is what you have when you dig it out of the ground. It doesn't look particularly appetizing or useful, but that's what you put into the fire. You get the temperatures hot enough and, and the, the dross and the, bl- uh, the um, rock and stuff, that'll all burn away, and you'll just be left with the pure metal. Now, if you've ever been through suffering, sometimes you get to the other end of it, and you're like, I just feel like less of a person. That's how I feel right now, less of a person. Like when I was in that space of like comfort and happiness, I just felt more together. You know, I had this wonderfully neatly tied up faith where everything was made sense, but now I've had to question who God is and I've had to question who I am. I've had to go through all this pain. You can feel like there's less of you, but that's what refining fire does. The the sheer mass and weight of the giant rock might be more But if it doesn't grow through the fire, it's useless. It's only when it burns up and you're left with small amounts, but precious amounts. That's where the value is. I can already tell you that God has done incredible things in my faith as I've had to wrestle with him. I've had to come to grips with it. He doesn't want my comfort. He wants me. He doesn't want to give me a nice cushy life. He wants to cultivate me into a person of of holiness and dependence. He wants to show me that his goodness is greater than nice circumstances. It's his presence. He's been showing me that he doesn't promise a nice, easy life. In fact, he promises dark valleys. But the Lord is my shepherd, and he walks into those valleys with me. And that's where you sense the the presence and the closeness of God like you've never had before. Refining fire, it'll leave you with less, but what you're left with is exactly what was meant to be there. Gold bars of, of value and beauty. Our resurrected world is going to be so incredible because we went through it. Now, this is, this is the most um, persuasive reason I can think of for why didn't God just make it all perfect to start with? You know, have you ever asked that question? Like, why did we do the whole Garden of Eden thing? Like, didn't you, you knew, you're, like, you're God, and you're here, we, are. we go through like the whole of the Bible, with, it gets dark in the Bible, man, there's sin, there's brokenness. Like, why are we going through this? because you and I will have the greatest appreciation of grace that we would never have had if we haven't been through what we've been. To truly know the grace of God is to know how far you've fallen to be lifted back up. To truly love God for all that he's done is to realize that you had nothing without him. We're going to have stories to share. We're going to have stories to share. Of like, look, at this point in my life, God just turned up for me. 
You know, like my life was in shambles here. He didn't fix the circumstances, but wow, I drew so close to him. Those scars that you've got, you know, physically and emotionally, they're going to be things that we can point to that are actually evidences of greater grace. That look at what we, we went through to get here. Look at what the Lord did to bring me to this point in my life. It's incredible. And more importantly, we're going to look God in the face and we're just going to be in absolute awe that a God like him would love a person like me. This is the great mystery of, of the gospel, that God has reconciled all things to himself in Christ. He chose this, and we just get swept up in the beautiful tapestry that is the gospel. As we come face to face with our maker, it's incredible. I could say more things, but let's not do that. What do we do with it? If you look at the verses around our verse from tonight, it, they're so beautiful. Verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I don't know if 2023 is going to be any better for me. You know, I really hope so. But I know what I need to do. I need to not lose heart. I need to fix my eyes on what is unseen, not what is seen. That's, that's what the Apostle Paul, that's what God is saying to each of you. No matter what you're going to go through, no matter what you're going through, don't lose heart. Nothing can overcome you because Christ has already got hold of you. And fix your eyes on the unseen. I'd love to pray that over, over us to, right now, if that's okay. And the band will jump up and we'll keep singing, but let me pray over us. God, this room is filled with stories of pain, of brokenness, of difficulty, even our own sin and our own issues. And if that was the story, we would be here with nothing to say and nothing to do. But the story was, was truly finished in the Lord Jesus. God, we cannot thank you enough that he would give his life for people like us, so much more than that, not just wiping the slate clean, but to take hold of us and produce in us an eternal weight of glory that outweighs them all. It's, it's so much more than we ever deserved, and yet you are a good, gracious God who loves to give good gifts, and so we're so thankful. Lord, please lift our eyes. Lift our eyes to heaven to see you enthroned in control of all things. Lift our eyes to see that what is to come is better than what we have here. Lord Jesus, please just comfort us. Hold us firm. Refresh us with your presence. Fill us with your joy. Help us to travel lightly through this world. We don't need to take anything with us. Everything we need is on the other side. Almighty God, you are so good. You are so good. Even when life is not, you are always good. Please teach us to not just know that, but to believe it deep in our souls. Pray all of this longing for that day when this glory is realized and we will enjoy you forever. So we pray it all in the name of Jesus.